when others know my weakness and I'm transparent about it, and they see that somehow, by God's grace, he keeps teaching, somehow he keeps writing, they say, that must not be Powell. He's too weak. That must be God. The only explanation for any usefulness in my life is the phrase, but God. Hey friends, welcome to the Hope and Help Project, the podcast that cultivates compassionate biblical conversations about life's challenging problems. I'm your host, Christine Chapel, and I'm so glad you're here to join in on today's conversation with author and teacher, Terry Powell. Today, we'll be discussing the topic of depression in ministry and how the gospel of Jesus Christ sustains those who serve in leadership positions in the church. If this is your first time listening to the show, be sure to learn more about the Hope and Help Project by visiting faithfulsparrow.com forward slash project. The link is posted in the show description, and by visiting that page, you can learn all about the mission of the podcast. Before we get started, let me introduce my friend Terry to you. Terry Powell teaches church ministry classes at Columbia International University in South Carolina. His books include Serve Strong, Biblical Encouragement to Sustain God's Servants, and now that's a good question, how to lead quality Bible discussions. He earned his PhD in educational ministry from Trinity Evangelical Divinity School in Illinois in 1993, and has served full-time on the faculty of CIU since 1981. Since 1994, Terry has taken 26 trips overseas to train national workers in a total of 12 different countries. He is married with two grown sons and a grandson. Hey, Terry, thank you so much for being on the show today. Well, it's my high privilege. Thank you for having me. You know, I've been following your writing for some time now, and I know that depression is really a topic that is near and dear to your heart. Would you spend a few minutes to share a little bit about your story and how depression has affected your life? Thank you. When I grew up in North Carolina, and my mom and dad were not highly educated. They were fifth and seventh grade educated mill workers. Um, knew the Lord, especially my dad had strong faith and a good Bible knowledge, but I can look back and see symptoms of deep melancholy in both my parents. And my mother's side, it was extreme hyper anxiety and worry and constant uh, issues like that. My dad, though with a greater sense of humor, had a, a very, very sensitive spirit and would weep easily. I was also hypersensitive as a child. My first memory that I now perceive as depression was in elementary school and going into what we would now call the middle school years. I would often, on Sunday evenings, when my parents were at a church service I didn't go to, would sit on the back doorstep facing some mountains in the far west part of North Carolina and just cry. I felt a deep, deep sadness of spirit, and I couldn't tell you why, Christine. And my grandfather was nearby at his house across the road, but I just have memories of many Sunday nights crying. And I knew the Lord as a child. I would pray too, but I didn't understand why I hurt because I was never abused by my parents or anything of that sort. When it came into adolescence, I was very socially inept and awkward. I like to say I look back at a picture of myself in high school and think, well, I wasn't bad looking at all. But I had such a negative self-image that I certainly thought I was, and I had no social confidence, but I had the same extreme sensitivity. Extremely difficult 
uh, in terms of self-condemnation. I couldn't do anything right in my own eyes. I only had average grades because I didn't really care about school. But I literally recall right after graduation from high school beating myself up once or twice, alone in the house, screaming at myself, then hitting myself extremely hard as I could hit with both my fists on the side of my head. I felt like I had wasted my high school years. So the, it, just, it was extreme instability, but my mom and dad didn't know all about it. And if they had, they weren't ones to take me to a counselor or psychiatrist. That never happened until I was well into my adult years. I did marry later in school, college. My grades went way up, and I had a little stronger self-esteem. I played college baseball, and I met my bride, and I had a lot better sense of humor when I was a young adult than I had when I was a child and than I had 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 in recent years. But as an adult in general, near middle age, the depression tended to set in much, much stronger. And at first I resisted any potential intervention medically, despite friends appealing to me. It was around early 1990s, after I, well after I'd started teaching here. And I just thought it was a matter of faith. If I just had more faith, or if I could just trust the Lord, or pray this through, but it only got worse. I finally tried some medical intervention at uh, my pastor's encouragement. And for me, for the first two or three years after that first intervention medically, I was a different person. I, I was at peace. I didn't get as easily agitated and stressful, but the effectiveness waned over time. And I've tried eight to 10 different medicines over the next 15 years or so, and I haven't had medicines in quite a while. I believe they certainly can help some people. They helped me temporarily. But my adult and more recent years, my, I have one of two extremes when I experience depression. One is I may be totally numb emotionally and robotic. I couldn't cry if you paid me to do it. The other is the polar opposite. I can be sitting in my den at home and cry and can't tell you why. My heart's just breaking. And I don't know which of those extremes is worse, but I've had them both. If I'm in a depressed episode, sometimes I can wake up and feel what is almost a weight physically on my shoulders. I know it's not physically there, but I can get out of bed and tell you the fog is there. It's a high humidity in the heart. Even though I cognitively know what I do that day, my teaching, my writing is important, I feel like there's no use doing anything. It takes great energy to go through the normal routine. Over a six month or a year period, I'm going to have several major depressive episodes, no matter what means I try to overcome it. But somehow, by God's grace, I don't think I've ever missed a class during my 38 years at CIU. Well, praise God for at least that that little bit. But I can definitely relate to a lot of what you said. And I'm sure the listeners who struggle with the depression themselves can, can relate to some of the things that you mentioned in terms of what you've walked through and your experience and the feeling of, of depression. Um, as a, I love what you said there, a, a high humidity in the heart. I think that's a really great way to say it. You were talking about how you have been teaching at your school for 38 years and you've written books and you have taken regular overseas mission trips. So definitely very active in ministry while navigating periodic seasons of depression. Can you share to what extent depression hindered or helped your ministry? Brief on hindrance, more on help. 
ironically. When I was in my 20s, a wise mentor for whom I worked while I was in seminary for a denominational headquarters, he told me, you have the teaching gift to be a pastor. But I was in seminary after having two MAs already to try to get a master divinity and go into be a pastor. But he said, Terry, I'm not sure you will survive long. You have an extremely sensitive temperament, which has its strengths, but it also has its weaknesses. And he said, Terry, I've been a senior pastor, and a senior pastor can be the butt of a lot of criticism, not all of it deserved. And I'm not sure you could handle that. But he also put a positive spin on it. He said, I think you should go into a ministry to use your teaching gift, but also to give you time to write. Because one thing I did for this denominational headquarters was a lot of writing. He said, if you're a pastor, you wouldn't be able to have as much time typically to write anyway. So he recommended I go into a school setting. It may have factored into the kind of ministry I went into and how God put me together. Because I believe a pastor can be melancholy by the grace of God survive. It's just going to be harder with the expectations people have of a pastor and sometimes the lack of compassion toward that pastor. The, the main thing about ministries, I ironically think it's been a help. I did a blog once on why I thank God for depression. And boy, Christine, as much pain as I've had, I don't say that glibly. But one thing it does, and this is not necessarily order of importance, is my emotional pain has created some, a degree of compassion and empathy for other hurting people, uh, even if their particular pain is not emotional. But I'm able to write them notes or even go to a hospital when I'm on a church staff and it's not my duty to do it uh, and be by their bedside because I know pain and I know how God uses other people to minister to me. It's the Romans 12, 15, weep with those who weep, rejoice with those who rejoice. And it's 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 11, giving others comfort because we've received it from God. I can give what I've received. So it actually enhances my ministry to some people because I identify with their pain. Another thing, ironically, and this is something I believe every believer needs to know is that weakness and pain can enhance God's glory. Psalm 50, 15 is very informative. God says, call on me in the day of trouble. I shall rescue you and you will honor me. And it doesn't mean God, of course, will rescue us from experiencing all trouble, but he will intervene either in us or in our situation and do something if we call upon him. I read Charles Spurgeon's exposition of this. Also, John Piper picked up on this in his book, Future Grace, that that's a key verse to motivate me praying when I'm weak because it's the giver who gets the glory. The idea is that when I am weak, in my case, depression, and I know that I can't survive as a teacher, as a writer, or have the strength of heart to keep going, or when I'm tempted towards suicide, and I've had a lot of suicidal thoughts, I've never attempted it, how do I keep going? Well, I go to God and say, help. Say, Lord, this is a great chance for you to get glory because I can't do this on my own. And when others see me as weak, I say, that's okay as long as you see the God I lean on is strong. When others know my weakness and I'm transparent about it, and they see that somehow by God's grace, he keeps teaching. Somehow he keeps traveling to speak to missionaries overseas and train them. Somehow he keeps writing. They say, that must not be Powell. He's too weak. That must be God. The only explanation 
for any usefulness in my life is the phrase, but God. But God did it. So God gets more glory when we're weak, ironically, because he gets to act like God and do something, and then I praise him, and I tell others about it, and others observe it. So that truth has ironically ministered to me and caused me to pray more when I'm weak. Ron Dunn, a former pastor from the Southern Baptist area, once said, the number one area of your ministry may come from your number one area of pain. Another thing is that the brokenness of my depression, I know brokenness can come in other forms or for other reasons, it tends to thwart pride. I'm not saying I'm never proud, never have a proud moment, but I realize that because of my weakness, when I do write something and get letters about it or get a lot of feedback to a message in church, then I tend to have less tendency toward pride because I know myself, I know my weaknesses, and I know that God did it. So I believe that weakness creates brokenness that therefore hinders pride and therefore that helps ministry. Terry, you just mentioned a few moments ago about the topic of suicide, and I wanted to bring that up in our conversation because sadly, there seems to be an increased number of pastors and ministry professionals who succumb to that heartbreaking, desperate hopelessness of suicide. And of course, we can't make assumptions about every particular case, but in general, why do you think this is such a problem? And why is it on the rise in ministry context? I believe some of these reasons may be not limited to those in vocational ministry, but perhaps for pastors or missionaries, the unrealistic expectation of congregational members or people who know them about leaders, the concept that if you're a leader, you shouldn't have struggles, you shouldn't have pain, you should be above that, which is really not a good theology of suffering rooted in Scripture, as you know. That can put extra pressure on pastors, and that's one reason I was advised not to go into that particular role because of its difficulty. Now, this is on the pastor's part here or the leader's part, but an unwillingness to be transparent. I know Galatians 6.2 says, bear one another's burdens and fulfill the law of Christ. But unless I tell somebody, whether that's a Christian counselor or a close friend who prays for me, unless I'm willing to be open and admit my need and admit my weakness, even if it's an area of tendency for depression, then nobody can help me if I'm silent. And sometimes pastors or leaders might be more prone to stay silent because they don't want to appear as weak and lose their position. The misconception is it means that I must not be a good leader. I must not have enough faith. I'm not saying that Satan causes all depression, but I do believe when people in ministry, missionaries especially, spiritual warfare cannot be left out of the equation. Even if the depression is biological or based upon chemical issues in the brain or whether it is circumstantial and discouraging circumstances weighing them down, Satan likes to grab that vulnerability and try to make it worse through negative self-talk and by feeding us with lies. So I don't see a demon behind every bush and I don't think all depression is caused by the enemy, but I believe in Christian ministry especially, you cannot rule out spiritual warfare at least you have given 38 years uh, of service and teaching to Columbia International University, and one of the school's core values is victorious Christian living. How would you answer someone who says that they cannot reconcile victorious Christian living with a person's recurring bouts of depression? I would say that we are defining victorious differently. 
victorious Christian living does not mean that I don't struggle. It does not mean that I don't get discouraged or depressed. It does not mean that I sometimes am weak. It means that how do I respond to that weakness? In my case with depression, God could heal me. I don't doubt that just like he has with other diseases, that God has healed people totally of depression and they never had a remission. But that's not been the case with me, and it isn't the case with a lot of people who love the Lord. Victorious Christian living, it isn't that God gets glory just when he takes it all away. When I grasped his word and my identity in Christ well enough that I no longer experience it and he did a miracle, I know that could glorify him. But I wonder, could he get more glory, not by removing it totally, but by keeping me susceptible to it so people who know me and who observe me, they see that the only way I maintain my life and ministry is by his grace and by his daily strength. Can he get more glory by sustaining me in my depression or by taking it all away? And in my case, I think victorious Christian living isn't going without depression. I think it's struggling to battle for the right belief. Is God still good? Does he still care? And I believe he is and he does. The key question is, how can my life bring God most glory? And I think it can bring most glory if I respond to my weaknesses correctly. If I take those weaknesses to him, if I rely upon his strength, if I rely upon his word and the body of Christ and go to the means of grace he has provided. Spurgeon said, and of course, as you well know, he was very depression prone, the British pastor of the, of the 1800s. But he once said, God gets from us most glory when we get from him most grace. So when I need grace, I'm giving God a chance to get glory. So I believe victorious Christian living isn't, for me, isn't living without depression. It's how do I respond to it? Uh, John Piper wisely said in a chapter on depression in Future Grace, of all the books I've read of Dr. Piper, that's my favorite one. Because he had a chapter in that book, uh, Future Grace, titled Future Grace Versus Despondency. It was written 20 years or so ago. And it, it tremendously ministered to me because he says, we need to learn to preach to ourselves the word of God. And he said, you have a battle, no matter what causes your depression, he was implying there may be biological factors, there may be physical things. Whatever causes your depression, we have a spiritual battle to face. It's a battle of belief. What am I going to believe? My circumstances or God's word or what I sense to be God's absent-mindedness toward me or the Bible statement that he loves me and cares for me. So I, I believe that the key to that is how you would define victorious. And uh, our late president, who was a very godly missionary statesman and author, Robertson McQuilkin, who died at 88 several years ago, he said adversity is a taken-for-granted means of grace. And uh, I just believe I can give God more victory. Well, I've heard that you cite a practical strategy for fighting depression. I think that you mentioned just a few bits of it as you were talking just now. You call it preaching to yourself. And I know that I came to be aware of that term really through Martin Lloyd-Jones and his book, Spiritual Depression, which has been a real gift to me. But what do you mean by that? Can you illustrate it in relation to battling depression? Yes. Well, as you probably know, John Piper popularized the phrase preaching to yourself. 
by referring to the book Spiritual Depression from the 1960s by Martin Lloyd-Jones. Martin Lloyd-Jones talk, said, talk to yourself. Don't just listen to yourself, the negative self-talk and the false beliefs, but talk back to them. And Piper gave examples of how he did that in, in his book, Future Grace. For me, preaching to myself is giving a biblically informed rebuttal to what I call misbelief or false beliefs. And I'll give an example in a moment. It is knowing the word well enough and memorizing verses just for survival. So when I am tempted or when I am despondent, I have a biblical way to talk back to those negative feelings, whether they're my own or those negative thoughts or whether they come from the enemy. Let me give an example. This is rooted in scripture in Psalm 42, 5. Now notice who's talking, who the psalmist is talking to. Why are you in despair, O my soul? Why have you sunk down within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him for the help of his presence. He's talking to himself, but about God. In Psalm 62, which has a lot to do with the theme of waiting, Psalm 62, uh, five and following, there's some verses there where he says, my soul wait in silence for God only. He is my hope. And so he's talking to himself again there. I saw three different psalmists, one of them, of course, being David, who were actually in their psalms talking to themselves, talking back to negative thoughts and misbelief. So it's a very biblical concept. For example, in one of my worst depression episodes ever, it lasted over a year with very little relief. God's irony is that it was my highest rated year ever as a faculty member. I would walk to my classroom. I would be totally in a major depression, not wanting to teach, but yet cognitively knowing it's important and being prepared for it. And a voice would say, whether it's my own or Satan, I can't be sure, but to say, why are you doing this? You're going to teach about God. When you've gone for weeks without experiencing or sensing a consciousness of his presence, you know, God's not been with you. Why do you do this? When's the last time you felt his presence? That's an example of a negative self-talk. Well, my rebuttal, and sometimes I've actually done it out loud uh, when nobody's too close to me, I say, you're right. I have not felt God's presence in weeks. I've been robotic. However, God's word says he's with me. Isaiah 41.10, and I will quote it. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you. I am your God. The Great Commission, verse 20, Christ promised to be with us. Hebrews 13.5, quoting from the Old Testament. I will be with you always. I quote these verses to myself, and in effect, I say, what's truer, the word of God or how I feel? But this obviously requires that I have to know God's word. I have to memorize it. I tell people I don't memorize scripture to try to impress anybody or just for my professional ministry. It's survival. Uh, it's very hard to preach to yourself if you don't know the, the scriptures. And so a lot of my memory is so I'll have a verse when I need it, so to speak. So preaching to myself is based on the fact that spiritual experience begins in the mind, what I think, and no matter what causes my depression, I have a battle of belief. Who am I going to believe, God's word or these negative thoughts I have that may come from the enemy?
And you're exactly right about storing up God's word. And I think for me, it has been easier to do that when I'm feeling well than it is when I'm feeling unwell or sorrowful or hopeless or whatever the case may be. And so it just goes to show you that we don't only cling to God's word when we're desperate. We need to be right. actively clinging to God's word when we are, we've got our wits about us and we are just sitting on the sidelines waiting for the battle to come because we know the battle is going to come back if it's not with depression it's going to be with something else some other trial temptation life-changing phone call and we need to be constantly training with christ constantly at the ready with god's word to either challenge ourselves comfort ourselves not that it's a self-help approach but it's just a preaching to ourself which is what you were just talking about and we need to be ready to do that Oh, that's very wisely stated uh, that the time for memory is not when I'm depressed. That's the time the Holy Spirit has fuel to work with because I memorized it earlier. Exactly. Uh, Terry, what practical steps can someone take for addressing the spiritual and physical components of their depression, particularly as it relates to those who are leaders in ministry? I believe we have to recognize the means of grace and utilize them, and that's for everybody. And we talked earlier about some pastors may be less likely to open up about discouragement or despondency or depression, but we cannot survive this without the body of Christ. And that may come in the form of just a counselor at first, but in my case, I've had close friends. One is with the Lord now, an older lady in a church, and some of my worst days in the early 2000s, just to get through a weekend day, I would call Louise and say, pray for me over the phone. And I didn't know if I could survive until I went to sleep that night. And now I have a close friend named Howard that I'll call, and he always prays for me over the phone. He's even wept for me over the phone, wishing he could take away my pain. So you can't go solo with this fight. So whatever that means, you need to find somebody you can trust and, uh, and talk. Uh, second thing is, I'm not just trying to give a glib answer here, but crying out to God, praying, telling him like one day last week when I came in and I was depressed and I didn't want to work. And I got in and laid down on my, the couch in my office. And then I was too numb to work. As I lay there, this is an example of having the word memorized, about eight to 10 different verses scroll through my mind that where God welcomes us to come to him, all who are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest at the end of Matthew 11, 1 Peter 5, 7, cast all your cares upon him. All those verses, just without me acknowledging them, just kept scrolling across my mind. So say, okay, I need to talk this out with God. And I just sat up on and said, God, unless you give me emotional strength and mental strength, I am not going to get a thing done today. So heartfelt, honest prayer, uh, obviously combined in that instance with scripture, but I can't, I have to be honest with God and say, help. I think help is the most blessed prayer you can give because God delights to give it. I think another thing that may be lower on the totem pole, but helpful for me is music. I am not musical like my wife, a gifted pianist, but I will go online and listen to song about grace. One that came out years ago that it's the one that always causes me to weep and literally put my hands up and praise God as my anchor holds because uh, my ship often feels battered. Um, so music and just listening to certain worship songs when I'm down has helped me. Reading stories of depressed people that God has used 
I know that you interviewed him recently. I did not get to see the podcast, but Zach Eswine uh, wrote a book, Spurgeon Sorrows. I think it was 2014. I'd already read about Spurgeon, but that was more thorough treatment of it. To read the story and diary, as I have years ago, of David Brainerd, uh, who only lived less than 30 years. Reading stories of William Cooper, C-O-W-P-E-R, the, the great songwriter. There is a fountain filled with blood and others. And he was in and out of a sign asylum even after he wrote that hymn. So he never got really better, but God mightily used him. We still sing his songs that focus on the character of God. Reading about people who are being used helps me. If you don't read Zeswine's book, Spurgeon Sorrows, I personally believe every pastor should read that book. But also, Spurgeon has a book, Lectures to My Students, different variations of it, where he gave lectures to young people, young men he had in a ministry school there in London. And he would come down on Friday afternoons and give a talk. He has a chapter in there, The Minister's Fainting Fits, that is worth the price of the book where he's talking about despondency and the pastorate. And uh, he was way ahead of his time in understanding it, and he was extremely transparent for his day. Other things of a very practical nature I do is, especially when it's weekends, is I will get up from a depressed state lying in bed on Sunday afternoon and I will take a swim or I will walk hard for exercise. Physical exercise, especially aerobic, can actually do something in my brain, I'm told. Well, Terry, every episode of the Hope and Help Project, I close by giving you the opportunity to say something to the audience, specifically to talk to someone who may be struggling in the ways that we've been talking about today. So they may live with shame about being depressed. They may believe that Christians in leadership aren't supposed to feel this way and that somehow they're failing God for experiencing such sorrow and hopelessness. This person may be a pastor who has struggled silently with his darkness or a minister leader who feels her battles with depression disqualify her to serve the body of Christ in a meaningful way. What encouragements would you offer to that person to give them courage to face the day? Well, before I give a doctrinal encouragement, I hope you will allow me just to mention something. Uh, I wrote a book in 2014 geared to people and pastorate and missionaries called Serve Strong, Biblical Encouragement to Sustain God's Servants. Uh, I was honored to get Dr. James uh, Packer and Stuart Briscoe and other endorsements. I, I don't say that to draw attention to myself, but that's not just for depressed leaders, but it's for leaders that face warfare and inadequacy and weariness, uh, but also discouragement. And I give some instances of depression in my life in that book, but I've had, it's not a best-selling book. It's a very small publisher out of Texas, but that I've gotten... 20 or 30 letters, some from missionaries overseas, because one foundation gave away 200 copies to missionaries, uh, that this is illustrations of truths over my life that have sustained me, not just in depression, but in other aspects of ministry discouragement. And I have been very, though it's not a bestseller, it never will be, um, I, I hope that that book can encourage people. In terms of truth, and I know this is what every leader or pastor or Christian would know, but I, I have a principle that sustains me every day that's applicable to every Christian, and that is focus on forever. At the end of 2 Corinthians 4, twice in that chapter, Paul talks about 
we don't lose heart. And you can study the whole chapter under the theme of reasons not to lose heart. But at the end, he talks about Jesus' resurrection and ours, and he talks about living in light of eternity with an eternal hope. And one of the reasons Paul didn't lose heart is he believed in heaven. It didn't give him a reason to escape life, but a reason to keep serving through difficult times. He didn't lose heart because he knew his future was secure. And Christine, this is very, very special to me. When I am extremely depressed, I say, Lord, I don't know if I'll live another one year or 20 years or whatever, but I know that this emotional pain is temporary. I said, this darkness is temporary. You may not choose to take it away in this life, but Revelation 21.4 says about the new heaven and the new earth, there will be no more mourning, no more pain, no more death. And I realize I can hold on. I won't yield to this encouragement to take my life. I won't yield to this temptation because hang on just a little while longer. He's sustained me for this many years. He can sustain me for a few more. And whether it's my death or whether the Lord returns before I die, there will be a raucous celebration in heaven. And I tell myself that a Christian with a heavenly mindset and eternal focus is more useful in this life, not less because they have an eye on the future. And I'm very encouraged to not lose heart because my focus is on that it won't, my pain, physical or emotional, will not last forever. It's temporary. Therefore, I can hold on knowing the finish line is ahead and it will end someday, this suffering and pain. Thank you so much for those words of encouragement, Terry. I want to give you the opportunity to share with the audience, if they want to get connected with you and your writing ministry, where is the best place for them to find you at? My blog, which focuses almost exclusively on issues pertaining to suffering in general, or depression in particular, and faith, is penetratingthedarkness.com. Now, a well-known pastor on the West Coast wrote a book on spiritual warfare by that title, but I own the URL, the penetratingthedarkness.com address, and that will give you my homepage and tell you why I write this blog. I average about one article a week. And on that homepage, they can click a link to the 2014 chapel testimony, audio only, of where my testimony on depression, and also to one or two other articles. There also is the two books that I now have in print, many others are now out of print, is the book Serve Strong. You can click on that and see a page about the book. And if you wanted it, you could go from there to Amazon and order it. There's also a book for small group leaders and Bible study leaders called, now that's a good question, my area of training is Bible study leaders. So I'd say that blog, which would include a short bio section about me, is the best way to get familiar. You can click read my blog. It goes into the archives and see if any of the past titles would encourage you. Some of those are book reviews I've done, and others are personal stories and anecdotes about how I'll survive a day. Um, so I'd say that blog, Penetrating the Darkness, is the best way. I don't mind if anybody writes me. Terry.Powell at CIU, the letters CIU.com. I'll answer anybody who writes me, and I'll even send them a few resources. If they subscribe to the blog, they'll actually get my four chapters of my Serve Strong book free, chapters on brokenness, the chapter on preaching to yourself, 
and so forth. Um, they can get that just by going to the blog and subscribing. Well, that sounds great. I will be sure to link to all of the things that you mentioned on the podcast show page when this episode goes live. So it makes it easier for the listeners to get connected with you. Well, Terry, I just want to thank you again for taking time out of your schedule to chat about the topic of depression in ministry. I was really encouraged by pretty much everything that you said thought it was just so applicable and i i want to thank you for your vulnerability i know that that is something the lord is going to use and probably already has in many ways to encourage those who are discouraged in ministry whether it be the missionary or the pastor just thank you so much for being here today you've given me a high privilege and i mean that sincerely and i just uh, i hope it ministers to someone who hears Before we let you go, I'd like to remind you to visit faithfulsparrow.com forward slash project. There you can check out the show notes from today's episode, complete with links to Terry's website and the resources that he mentioned. If you enjoyed today's conversation, I would be so thankful if you left a review for the show on whatever podcast platform you're listening on. And be sure to subscribe to be notified when new weekly episodes release. Also, please don't keep the Hope and Help Project a secret. If you know someone who could be encouraged by listening to this episode, please do them a favor by sharing it. One more thing, if you're looking for gospel hope and help for life's challenging problems, visit faithfulsparrow.com forward slash email. I send my email subscribers weekly biblical counseling resources on rotating topics. From videos, audios, articles, and recommended reading, these emails are designed to equip you to discover gospel hope and help in your own life. Thanks so much for listening to today's show. Be sure to join us next time on the Hope and Help Project.